Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. A lot of times we see different, um, you know, types of media depicting the Orthodox community, whether it's TV shows, movies, plays, books, and a lot of times, um, you know, looking from within, we feel like the writer, the director, the producer somehow didn't get us, somehow stereotyped us, somehow um, judged our community maybe too harshly, maybe with not enough nuance. So today we actually have um, the pleasure to, br- to be speaking to a playwright um, who was working on a play um, about the Orthodox community, and she's very much interested in, in getting this right and getting the nuance down and getting all the details correct um, to get this uh, story as it should be. And um, it's great to be able to speak to someone who's still under development for a story like this and that you know, we have people in the media that care to, uh, you know, give that kind of care to their, their storyline. Um, and so joining us today is Sonara Kalem. Um, she grew up in Columbus, Ohio, um, and she um, spent four years in the Green Mountains of Vermont earning her B.A. in drama and political science at Bennington College, focusing on acting, playwriting, and comparative politics. Her love of theater has taken her to Dresden, Germany as a performer in the theater Jung Generation and to Woolly Mammoth Theater Company in Washington, D.C., and Target Margin Theater Company in Brooklyn. And recently, her play, Viva in October, was selected as one of the top ten for the Jewish Play Project's 2016 Playwriting Contest. So, uh, Tanara, thank you so much for joining us today and for speaking to us about uh, this play that you, uh, that you wrote. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak. Yeah, pleasure. So, um, I guess, can you tell us first a little bit about... Um, where you are in terms of your Jewish background, and then I'm curious to know, like, what made you decide to, you know, write a, a play like this, you know, since I already know that this is not your original Jewish background. So where, what, what was your Jewish background like growing up? Um, so I, I would describe myself as um, pretty typically secular, but um, I guess the main difference between my experience growing up Jewish in the United States is that I was actually born in Israel, and um, though my parents are American, uh, they spent the majority of their, you know, emerging adulthood in um, Israel, met there, and had me and my brother there. Um, so my connection to the Jewish faith and to Jewish living felt um, very culturally Israeli rather than culturally American. Um, so while I was, while I am secular, um, I do feel very spiritually connected to Israel as a religious home for Jews. Um, and what part of what part yeah, of Israel? So, uh, so I was born in Nazareth, but I grew up in a um, small town north of Tel Aviv on the coast called um, Bardeshana Kakur. Okay. Um, very small, kind of like hippie town. <laughs> okay. Um. And how, yeah, how long, so when, when did you leave, when did you leave Israel to come to the States? I was five, so I grew up in the United States. Um, okay. I mean, we've been back, uh, I would say, um, sort of regularly since um, leaving, uh, but the majority of sort of my developmental process has been in the United States, um, so that is comes with its own set of interesting uh, perspectives and uses as somebody who's not from the United States, but having spent most of her life here. Sure. And and what about your interaction with the Orthodox community? Did you 
probably at five, you didn't have too many memorable interactions in Israel. So did you have any interactions with the Orthodox community in the States? Yeah, um, you know, as for part of my Bat Mitzvah project, I was actually um, working with a an organization in Columbus, and I think it probably exists in other cities around America, too, called the Friendship Circle, which was through the Chabad House. Sure. Um, and it was, yeah, so it they, they connect um, neurally typical uh, Jewish teens with um, Jewish teenagers on the spectrum, um, for, you know, social visits and, and excursions and stuff like that. So I was working through the Chabad House in that organization um, mm-hmm. for my Bat Mitzvah project and then a little bit um, after that as well. So that was your first time really kind of getting to see the Orthodox community up close? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, stuck my hand up to shake the hand of somebody who I met for the first time and then was uh, explained very kindly that he couldn't do that. And, you know, right. and so that was, you know, I and, and kind of like... Like, I, I, I kind of knew, you know, when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I knew that already. Um, so, you know. And this the, is in New York? Where, where, did you, where, did you, where did you grow up once you moved to the States? Oh, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, Columbus, Ohio. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, and yeah. So, and so other than that first time that you made the mistake, but they were kind, was it a positive experience? What, did you learn anything new or...? Yeah, I mean, it was overwhelmingly positive because I was sort of um, in an organization that was connecting a lot of different people from the Jewish faith um, for a common goal of, you know, uh, extending a handout to Jewish teens that don't have um, an easy time socializing with people their age. Um, so it was really, really positive, I think. Um, and I absolutely learned new things. But I don't think, you know... I was pretty. I was still pretty young when yeah. I was um, when I was uh, involved with them. So it really wasn't until I went to Israel uh, last winter to do research for my senior thesis that I was able to sort of look more closely at my own relationship with the Orthodox community with a more critical eye in terms of my involvement and and my preconceived notions, my stereotypes that I kind of grew up with, and and sort of dismantle that. And so what, so can you tell us a little about, because I also grew up with lots of stereotypes about the Orthodox community, um, you know, growing up non-Orthodox. So what, what sort of stereotypes did you grow up with and what, what happened in Israel that made you re-examine them? I think because, you know, I, I turned 22 right after I got back from Israel, so I... Um, but first of all, the nature of my research was in Israeli settlement policies, so I was already interacting with um, a population in Israel that was a lot more religious than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I was just sort of coming across, like, I was I was welcomed into those communities where I had never been before. Um, and then I think that was just on my mind, but also being 22, um, I started to recognize that the women my age in those communities were starting to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think that was the first spark into what led me, certainly what led me into writing this play, um, but also what sort of, uh, gave me the ability to look more critically at the, um, the sort of, uh, female expectations in my own community and mm-hmm. whether they were actually any different, um, <laughs> than in the Orthodox community. Um, and so that has been a process of, of realizing that they, you know, they really aren't that different. <laughs> So what, so I'm I'm very curious to hear about that because I, you know, I I wouldn't say the Orthodox community is a perfect community by any stretch of the imagination, 
Um, it certainly ha comes challenges, own unique challenges come along with you know a traditional lifestyle and a, you know a, a life of uh, of mitzvos. But I do feel like there's actually in some ways so much more respect um, and I don't know valuing of women than the modern, you know, quote-unquote progressive egalitarian society that I grew up in. And I think people are so quick to point fingers and say what's wrong with the traditional society and don't see how many problems and issues exist, you know, in what they consider to be so progressive and equal. So can you take us through that a little bit? Like what, what did you look at in your own society compared to what was going on in the Orthodox society? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I, in doing research for this play, I was, um, I have, I would consider, I have become friends with um, an Orthodox couple here in Providence, Rhode Island, which is where I'm currently based, and um, uh, talking to them has been really helpful in, um, I think, understanding that, understanding the ways in which the sort of restrictions and expectations that people often um, think are only relegated to the Orthodox community are actually the same in the secular community, and I think pretty much the same um, in the, actually the non-Jewish community as well. I think when you have like these large Abrahamic religions, they kind of come with very similar um, uh, starting points, and so you end up having, you know, in the year 2016, you end up having very similar expectations of what um, a timeline in a woman's life is supposed to look like. So, um, you know, I, the interactions I've had with Orthodox women have been very positive, and I think that that's a testament to those women. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they are just really, really open, honest, wonderful people, mm -hmm. um, and there are open, honest, wonderful people in the secular community as well, but I think that the problem is not so much... Um, yeah, I think, I, like you said, the problem is sort of looking at um, orthodoxy as something that's somehow antiquated and then not turning the gaze inward and um, the antiquated systems that we in the secular community perpetrate all the time. So what um, would you say, what do you think is antiquated day, in the secular community? Well, I mean, I am 23, and I feel a lot of pressure being a single woman, and... Um, I, you know, that may be pressure that I'm putting on myself, but also probably not. You know, I think the media makes it very clear that um, if you're single, then, you know, it's it's probably easy to find something wrong with you for a reason for that, you know. And and so even though Miss um, is treated differently and maybe on a different timeline, I think that um, it's, it's very similar. Uh, so I do feel pressure to start that part of my life like right now, um, or at least show that I'm on my way to starting that part of my life. Um, and, you know, similarly, I think uh, my interactions with men around me, I mean, that's all, it's all, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of scrutiny towards women. And so I think that people can get lost in that in the Orthodox community without realizing that it's the same in the secular community. Um, I definitely, I think, you know, I think marriage is happening later in the secular world, and I, I feel like I know a lot of women in the secular world that want to get married and aren't able to find guys that want to settle down. Not to say that there aren't issues with marriage in the Orthodox world, too, because again, right. yeah, there's their own problems with that. Um, but I, I think that there's still an idea that like a woman is defined by sort of, again, the singlehood or if she you know is taken and sort of that defines how desirable she is and 
I agree right. is something that, I mean, technically, actually, according to Jewish law, a woman's not required to get married. A man is required to get married, but a woman actually doesn't have to do that. So in a way, there's something I think, I don't know, maybe even more progressive about that, that that's not something that, you know, she needs to do to be considered complete, at least according to Jewish law. Now, maybe, you know, right. societally, we have certain expectations. And I think uh, biologically, I think a lot of women want to do that anyway. And what I find painful to see, and again, not that there aren't issues going on with women that want to get married in the Orthodox world and can't find a good guy to marry to because that's happening, but to see, you know, I have friends that had guys that just like wouldn't put a ring on it, you know, and they did everything for them and, you know, were living with them and, you know, kind of giving them everything and not being able to find a guy that was willing to settle down. So I guess um, women have challenges everywhere. Now, your play specifically yeah. focuses around a get story. So can you talk to us a little bit about what motivated you to talk about, um, you know, the the issues around get? Like, when did you learn about that? Why do you want to write about that? What are you hoping that the audience will get from learning about the get? Yeah, um, I, would, I would say that my play isn't so much focused on the get issue as much as that is like the sort of temporal pressure that it's like the clock that drives the play. Really, my play is looking at like, a, it's basically a coming of age story in that um, a married woman um, has to sort of come to, come to, um, uh, has to sort of confront her expectations of her life and what it would look like at 23 and then actually what it does look like in reality um, but in terms of get, I mean, she is married to a man that um, the two of them are not are not getting along. They're not in love. It's not something that they were able to work on and to um, to grow between the two of them. And uh, and so he actually ran away, and we join her um, as she's looking for him to try and get the get. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but she, he, I don't want to like give away spoilers or anything. Um, but, I mean, so the, the actual issue of the get is sort of um, the background to the action of the play because most of what is actually happening in the play is her confronting these expectations in herself and in the community around her. But definitely mm-hmm. the get is a, is a big part of that. And um, is this an arranged marriage in your play or did, were, did, were they set up or what, what's the context of how they got together? Um, no, arranged. They, um, but they certainly were. Uh, they were pressured into marrying, marrying by um, the, the husband's family. She, um, her parents are dead, and she doesn't have any brothers and sisters because her mother had um, a lot of problems in, in pregnancy with her. Um, so she's very alone and sort of off in, in the sea. And she's actually not from the community that the play takes place in, which is um, Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn. She's actually from Cleveland. And so she feels very, um, I think at the time she felt very lost um, without guidance. And so uh, she was dating him for a little bit. And then um, his parents said, you know, either you continue to date or, or either you get married or um, you try to find somebody else because it's going on and it's taking too long. And so they decided to get married. Mm-hmm. And then she decides it's a mistake. And where it, where did the storyline of this come from? I'm saying, is this? Did you speak to anyone that had something similar, or um, was it you know totally you know created in your imagination? And then you go to Orthodox people and say, does this work? Like how how do you write about a community that's outside of your own experience and try to give it a fair treatment? Right. Um- so the sort of genesis of the story comes from um, a really close family friend of mine whose daughter converted to orthodoxy 
um, pretty early in her life, and so now um, uh, a lot of her children are getting married. So my family friend um, is this, you know, secular uh, grandmother who's going to all these Orthodox weddings, and she was showing me all these pictures, um, and I actually was able to track, you know, one couple's life um, through a series of pictures at different weddings, you know, so I saw their their wedding pictures, and I saw them a year later at a different wedding, um, and that was really fascinating to me, and just to sort of see this snapshot of this um, couple's life, and, you know, she sort of told me the story of how they got together, and it was very similar to what is in my play, although they're married and happy and living in New York, you know, so that's all a fabrication in my head, um, but uh, that was sort of that genesis, but then, you know, um, I think I, I don't really remember where I heard about the get. Situation, but um, that was a sort of like a clock um, that I could put on my play that gave it um, a forward momentum in the action. Um, but certainly, like after I sort of conceived of the plot, I mean, it was really important to me to find um, people in the Orthodox community to talk to and get my facts straight um, and make sure that I knew all I knew the um, the world that I was um, tapping into. Um, and and was able to get it right because um, that is a huge concern of mine is to sort of I don't want to ever be misconstrued as speaking on behalf of a community that I'm not a part of. Yeah. Um, I think why you know I think the reason why I started writing this play is because this woman Aviva is asking the same questions of the world and the universe and God that I do as a secular woman, and so that was really fascinating to me. So is your hope and goal that the audience will see that there's more similar to themselves and this Orthodox woman that they might consider to be so different than they realized when they walked in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that um, to make the unfamiliar familiar is a big goal in my theater-making process. And so um, uh, enabling non-Jews or secular Jews to watch this play and like, you know, love the characters, and so to walk away with the feeling of, you know, humans are humans, no matter what their lives look like or how they shape them, and um, so, you know, the system and the communities in which they live in is actually not as important as who they are. And is, are the characters in this play, like, ultra-Orthodox Haredi, or more modern Orthodox, or more centrist Orthodox, or do you, are you not sure, or Chabad, or... <laughs> yeah. I think for a while I was thinking they were modern Orthodox, but now I'm realizing that I wrote a play more about, like, yeshiva Orthodox women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's also been quite a quest for me when I'm talking to my Orthodox friends and I'm asking them, you know, how do you consider yourself, like, do you consider yourself modern or um, ultra? And, and they have really interesting perspectives on what those words mean and who creates them. Um, so that's been also really fascinating. But I think these characters are yeshiva Orthodox. So I have like, I mean, obviously I'm not going to tell you how to do your play, but I have like a dream that there would be some sort of, I think people kind of like make the boxes of modern and ultra, like kind of very like defined that like ultra orthodox, Mm -hmm. like never smiles and modern orthodox, like, you know, only wears pants. And, you know, there's, you don't sort of see the space in between, like the kind of orthodox that I would call myself, whether you would call it centrist orthodox or right wing modern orthodox Meaning, in my circles, um, we are fully engaged in the modern world. We, you know, believe in higher education. We're Zionistic. We dress stylishly, but at the same time, we, you know, are careful about, you know, as much, you know, halacha, Jewish law, as we can. So, you know, the men, you know, pray, you know, three times a day, and the women dress modestly and but with stylish clothes. And I feel like 
if you see the modest dresser or like the woman in the wig, like depicted in the movie or the TV show, she always has a very specific look, like always so like identifiably orthodox. And I wouldn't, you know, when I was on my journey and trying to figure out, you know, I, you're you're talking about your story now. Um, A lot of our listeners have heard my story, which I'll just do very quickly right now for you. I was raised to think that Orthodox Jews were all a bunch of, you know, rock-throwing, women-hating extremists. When I was eight, there was a triple murder in my town. This father killed his children and himself. And then suddenly I was like, wait, what's the purpose of life and why are we here? And we're going to just be dead one day. And I was asking these very big questions. And no one in my world had anything to, like, offer me that was meaningful or spiritual or, you know, comforted me in any way. And I didn't see any sort of answers in the... Judaism that I had been raised in, which was conservative, which essentially meant reform didn't do enough, orthodox was crazy, and we were sort of perfect in the middle, but we didn't really know anything or do anything. But in my mind, orthodoxy was never an option because those were those, like, you know, antiquated, subjugated, you know, extremist people. And when I met people like the circles that I'm in now, where people really, like Jewish law and traditions, it's completely integrated in everything that I do. And the things that, like, I've raised my kids to be crazy, too. So, like, Meaning, like, we're very aware of, like, our own mortality and that, like, this world doesn't last. Mm -hmm. And we have fun still, too. But, like, the other day, like, um, I was talking to my kids about, like, it's going to be so much fun this summer. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. There's so many great things ahead. And my seven-year-old son's like, and there's also bad things ahead. And we're all like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, you never know in life. And the truth is that, like, he got that because he hears me talking because I don't pretend that the world is, like, a rosy, you know, picture that, like, Unexpected right. things can happen. I walked into fourth grade one day, and like one of my classmates, like had been shot in the head from her father. So like, I've raised my kids with that mentality. But meaning like, but at the same time, like I never see the purpose of this is that I never see someone like me depicted in any right. play or any book or any television show where it's an open-minded person who struggles with parts of the Torah, who says the parts that you know, you know, against uh, you know slavery or you know uh, gays. That stuff that's a hard thing to sort of wrap my head around, even though I'm. Fully believing and practicing, it's hard to you know fully understand that. But at the same time, I'm fully committed in it. Like I never see that. So the the character that's depicted, usually the ultra orthodox character, never smiles, always wears black, right. never has a personality. Um, and so I'm not sure, like you know, as the play is you know still partially under development. Like even even to have the Hasidic character or the ultra or yeshiva character, whatever it is smiling, being silly, you know, having some sense of humor, having some sense of the larger world. Um, I just feel like that's so important to show that, you know, that side of it, not just, you know, that all women, you know, struggle with similar women issues, but that like, I don't know. And there's even, you know, there's people in the yeshiva world that dress stylishly too, that dress more style. What I came to realize is that in every circle you have the stylish dressers and you have like more of like the, the less stylish dressers and, you know, even if it's jeans and a T-shirt in secular America, it can be like, you know, Gucci jeans and a T-shirt or just kind of looking right. more sloppy. Um, and so I think that's something that's, you know, not seen as much, not depicted as much. And I think it's, it, on one hand, it feels shallow. Like, does the character really need to dress stylishly? On the other hand, just to even know that that exists, um, I think it's just sort of one more layer of, uh, you know, showing, right. so I guess, surprising people is what I would say because... We're so yeah. used to the, you know, orthodox woman without, you know, the voice, the orthodox woman without the personality. And to have, you know, kind of more of those layers there that's more similar, I think, would be good. Um, so you heard about the get stuff probably because it's all over the news um, because bad mm-hmm. news about orthodox Jews is, you know, something that I think the media loves. 
Have you heard about the halachic prenup? Well, we're closing up soon, but I'm curious if you heard about that as a solution to the um, the, the Aguna crisis, the get issue. Um, well, you know, I, I yes, I have heard of it. Um, okay. uh, in my research with um, Rabbi Moshe Moskowitz here in, um, in uh, Providence, we did talk a little bit about that as he was sort of explaining to me um, the community's perspective on the get issue. Um, yeah. But I know very little about it. I only know it through him. Um, so, I mean, I would... If you have a question yeah, about it, I would yeah, love we to just more. To finish up the show, it's not universally accepted yet, although um, we at Jew in the City are working on trying to get more acceptance. Actually, in 20 years of use, it's been 100% effective. So any couple that has mm. duly signed it, um, and that means you know getting a second copy that you know the, the Jewish court has a record of so that they can call upon it when needed, um, it, it has been 100% effective in stopping recalcitrant husbands from trying to exercise that power, that is given, and it's really the rabbi's answer to um, exile. Back before we were in exile, when we were just in these small sort of shtetl communities, if the guy was trying to, you know, trap the wife, the community could just turn him into pariah until he had no choice but to, to let her go. Because the world right. is so big and you can just hide in any corner of it now, it's much harder um, to apply that kind of pressure on a man. And so this is basically $100 a day that he's agreeing to now support his wife as long as he insists on staying married to her. It's very careful language that's written that works both within American law. It's been tested in the American court system, and it has held up. And what they found is that it maybe it weeds out the bad guys that, you know, before they go into that, you know, sort of... Right. Um, it will weed out the guys that would be afraid to give up that kind of power. And it sort of makes the guy maybe think, hey, I, I promised her, you know, 20 years ago that I would never do this to her and now I'll make myself a liar if I go against it. And also in divorces, people fight, you know, tooth and nail for every dime. And so this is a lot of money right. to give up, even if you're wealthy. So I don't know if that has a place because it's not fully um, accepted yet in the yeshiva and the Chabad and the Hasidic world, um, although... We have been working on getting more acceptance because the old method of take the guy out to the back of the house and beat him up, that doesn't really work anymore <laughs> in the world today. Um, and so this is something, it's very painful to watch women struggling in these situations, not being able to gain their freedom. And for me, it gives me a lot of hope seeing that Orthodox rabbis have cared to, you know, find a solution. And they have found one, and now it's just a matter of, you know, getting um, buy-in from the entire community. I'm not sure if that will help your play, but I certainly wanted to mention that. And we're out of time now, but um, I, I'm so uh, appreciative that you came here to talk to us about this, and even more so that you're caring to do your homework and to, you know, make a nice treatment of these characters and we wish you the best of luck. And just tell our listeners quickly, how can they follow along for when this play will be performed? How can they keep up with you? Um, so it's currently still, the, the competition is still underway. So um, I had a reading in Chicago, and it won the reading there. Um, but if you want to sort of keep up with um, the play's development, you can go to jewishplaysproject.org or .com, I can't remember which one, to their website, and then they post all the updates on um, the competition. Um, but also, I mean, I have a new play exchange uh, uh, profile, and all of my updates will go there as well. So if there is a performance that happens with this play, um, I will be posting it there. Excellent. All right, well, wish you best of luck, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank and you so much, Allison. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>